Uh, it's time for us to begin because I, I believe, even though I'm hard of hearing somewhat, that I heard the first bell uh, already ring. So we didn't finish the last uh, lesson, but I do want us to uh, still uh, touch a bit on the subject of divorce that we were studying on Wednesday evening. We're in Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is taught. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason, except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced, commits adultery. Just to reiterate a few points here, the Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds for divorce. They were more concerned about that writ of divorcement than, than anything else. Jesus was more concerned about the institution of marriage. Um, the Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command, but I think Jesus kind of points out to them, it's not a command, it was a concession. It was a concession granted to you by Moses due to the hardness of your heart. And then the Pharisees, I think, also regarded divorce lightly. And I hope you can see that Jesus uh, took it and still takes it seriously with only one exception. And that's in verse 32 when he speaks in authority, he says, but I say. Now God even used the subject of divorce to show that he considered the people, his chosen people, the nations of Israel and Judah, who became unfaithful to him through their idol worship. And Subsequently, he says, they have dealt with me treacherously. That's a pretty serious word. They have dealt with me treacherously. And he had to divorce them, in a sense, as a result of their taking up idol worship. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. This is the prophet Jeremiah who is receiving word from the Lord. He said, The Lord also to me, said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. And so it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land 
and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. You see the seriousness of how God saw what was going on with the nations of Israel and, and Judah, what they had done and how he was seeing that from his perspective. And he uses that word, that word there is treacherously. It was pretty serious. It was grievous. And yet God did what with the people? What was he hoping for? <coughs> they would return. And did they return? No, they didn't. So that's kind of interesting in that perspective there. Now turn over to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 2. And we'll be reading uh, verses one or 10 through 16. Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this. Being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts? And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, and yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. I think there's an aspect of something that I saw for the first time in this that when there is a marriage between a man and a woman, it's often referred to as coming together, God considers them one flesh. But there's another aspect there in verse 15 that I don't think I've ever seen before. Do you see it? There's something else that's joined there. The Spirit. The Spirit. You get that? Your Spirit... <coughs> spouse's spirit, it goes so deep 
that the spirits are somewhat united. God sees that, and it's revealed there for us. God wants marriage. He wanted this nation of this chosen people of Him to produce godly offspring. And yet, they took up idolatry, and that is called treacherous. God is not happy with it. And so I hope we can see an aspect of, 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 of this. And I think the same... Just out, of, just out of curiosity, I had a question. Because Jesus does say that after death and the resurrection, there will be no marriage. And we'll be spirit, spirit by then. So how does it work if we're united in spirit? I don't know. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Yeah. I don't know, but I think there is there's there's something there that while we're here on this earth that that's important that there's that that relationship is there. I think this is the same conclusion that Jesus came to when he was questioned, you know, by the Pharisees, and I think it's the same teaching that he gives here in the Sermon on the Mount. The treacherous thing that can happen in a marriage is what. Sexual immorality. That's treacherous. That's serious. Um, he clearly, I think, clarified to this audience that divorce was not okay, as was probably the common belief. And even for those who are divorced to be able to remarry is not something that Jesus is saying is right, nor should it be allowed. So I think Jesus makes the point that to divorce one's partner for an unscriptural reason and marries another, or even marries another divorced person, they're entering into a forbidden and an, an adulterous relationship, a state of sin. I hope we can see that. You know, under Mosaic law, if one was caught in adultery, what was the punishment? Death. Death. Remember the lady, the woman that was brought before Jesus, who was supposedly caught in the act of adultery? Yeah, but death for the did, woman, did, not did, for the man. Huh? Death for the woman. That's for the woman. Never brought the man. the man. It takes two. <laughs> they bring the woman in. And what did Jesus say to them when they when he knew the punishment for this act was? Cast the first stone. Death. By stoning, what did he say to the audience? Those that he who has no sin cast the first stone. Did anybody cast a stone at her? No, he did not. So, I believe it all comes back to the beginning of what we saw with the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this, that if one is meek in their character, if they're truly a peacemaker, if they are poor in spirit, and if they're a merciful person, how can that kind of individual cast out their spouse? It shouldn't happen. Alright, so we conclude talking about those verses. Anybody uh, got any additional thoughts there? We now turn to the next teaching that Jesus gives here on the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 33 through 37. 
And once again, he says again, you have heard. In other words, he's saying to this audience, this is what you have been taught. This is what I think you most likely understand, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say, once again, in authority as God in the flesh, saying, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. If the rabbis probably, and the rabbis were the teachers of the people of the day, the rabbis tended to be permissive with their attitude towards divorce. They were obviously also being permissive with their teaching about oaths or vows. Because, I mean, we've all heard, you know, like, like for example, like someone at work saying, I swear I, I didn't take steal that book, you know. You know, so, I mean, are, are they trying to really show that they didn't do it when they say, I swear? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. Hold that example, because you, 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 we hear those kinds of things all the time, people saying that. Um, but I think it was an issue of the time, even for Jesus, because why else would Jesus be teaching the truth regarding this subject if, if it wasn't a problem? Okay? The key word there is oath. What is an oath? Promise. Promise? A vow. Huh? Or a vow. A vow? That that's, to me is another word, vow. They're somewhat related, but yet distinct from one you're, another. You're giving them your, your word, that you're, what you're saying is true. Y yes, yes. But an oath, here's the definition I found of the word oath. It's a formal declaration in support of a pledge or a promise usually based upon an appeal to God or some higher institution or some higher figure. It also is the careless or profane use of the name of God, period. So when we swear, when we curse, we're doing that. Now, a vow, says, is a solemn promise to God to perform some act or make some gift of sacrifice, a certain course of life, a pledge of faithfulness, a promise. Well, what comes to your mind when you think of vow? Marriage. Marriage. It's funny that he follows us up with boom after the marriage. Anybody disagree with that? That marriage incorporates a vow? A promise to God to perform some act to be, you know, so it's related to what Jesus already said about divorce, yet you can, you can also espouse a verbal vow of some kind. Anybody else got an example, either of an oath or a vow? When you sign a mortgage. Huh? When you sign a mortgage to pay for it. I love that one. When you sign a mortgage, 
Uh, when you when you take a position in public office, you take your you take an oath. They, they take an oath that, that they will execute their office, you know, legally, legally and rightfully. That's a good idea too. So mortgage. How about when we buy a car? What? Buy a car. Oh. Any contract. Any yeah. contract. That little card you carry called the credit card. <laughs> Is that not making like a vow or a commitment to fulfill something? Absolutely. Well, we, yeah, when you buy something at Walmart with it, you're promising to pay it back. Exactly. And you break that when you don't have sufficient funds to pay for it when it's due. Mm -hmm. Same with buying a car or buying a mortgage or, or whatever it is. When you're testifying in court. Yes, and we'll hold that idea because we will talk about that. Because a lot of people think, there's a lot of people think that I don't need to do that. That's not right to do that. Using the Lord's name. They see it as using the Lord's name in vain in a court. But I'm going to show you where that is not right leader. I have a clarifying question sure. real fast. So are we making a distinction between an oath and a vow right now? I think there's a difference, but there's a very strong relationship yes. there. But I'm not vowing to God that I will pay my credit card back. Right? That's a legal no, term. No. You're making it you're because you're making it you're making an agreement there that you're gonna pay yeah. you know what you have. So it, it has to do with that idea of making Payment for what's what, what's what's owed. But in the same regard, God expects us to honor any commitment or contract that we make. So mm -hmm. even though we're not making a vow to God with a credit card, or you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's still required of us because God expects us to keep. Our promises. Our promises. Yeah, I'm just. I just want clarification. Yeah. Because it is a promise. Right. So if I say I swear to God, that's an oath. If I'm saying I'm, I, or I, I swear to, on God's name, I will do this. That yes. would be an oath. Right? That would be. Or yeah. Yes, that would be what I would consider what Jesus is truly teaching here. This this kind of stuff was going on, but we'll see where they. The, the teachers of the day were distorting that so that they wouldn't have to keep their oath or their promise to do something. Sure. The law of Moses has one verse in our Bibles that talks about oaths. It has a multitude that talk about vows. And there is a specific difference between them that is recognized by the offering of a sacrifice under the law. We don't have sacrifices today. So when you go through the, the Psalms and the prophets, the idea of a vow gets kind of shaky in that it is a promise to do something that is made before somebody. But in either case, whether it's just between two individuals or between the congregation, the witness to that vow is God. And whether it is backed up monetarily or whatever, it still is a promise to do something. And the only country I've run into so far that recognized that as part of their law is the Philippines. If you say you will do something, and there is a witness to that, that's all that it takes to go before the Filipino court and have that vow charged against the individual if he doesn't make it do. And that's what David says, if you make a vow, do not hesitate 
to complete it because God will hold you accountable. I think that's the core of it, if you understand that aspect of it. Because remember I said that even an oath is where you use the careless or profane use of the name of God. Now, who knows what a euphemism is? A euphemism. Another type of word used. It's another type of word that's mild. Okay, It's a substitution. Uh, of a word or an expression because the other one is just too blunt or too painful. For instance, gosh, the word gosh is a euphemism. OMG. Oh my God. That's a euphemism. Jeez. I remember when I was a kid hearing people say, Jesus, Jenny on a bicycle. Maybe it was something from the Midwest, I don't know. All right. This one never makes sense. Jesus H. Christ. I didn't know he had a middle name. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, people try to soften it up, but you know what? Technically, is it right or wrong? It's wrong. Yeah. So does that mean like even saying gosh is bad? Or? Yes, I do. Because what you're doing is you're making a substitution with a more harsh term. And the harsh term is when something doesn't go right, somebody wants to say, I don't want to say it, but they damn it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what gosh is. is if you look it up, you'll, you'll see these euphemisms and, and, and their definitions of what they mean. And I can tell you this is probable, I've seen this among Christians a lot, lots of times, the use of euphemisms. And, and, and what I think what Jesus is teaching here is we have to be careful. Using the Lord's name in this time that Jesus is teaching us, was, they, the, the, rightfully so, they took it seriously. But... Um, the teaching that was going on was, oh, look, if you make your oath uh, on heaven, or if you make your oath against earth, or if you make it on the city of Jerusalem, or if you make the oath on your head, ah, you're not committed, fully committed. You have to do what, you, what your oath was and what your vow that was that you made. You see where they took it and watered it down? To give an avenue in one's mind that they're escaping. And I think too, was it? I mean, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't say the name of God. It was, it, isn't that right? They, they wouldn't use God's name. They wouldn't speak it. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't speak because it, it was so. So, <clears throat> over time, and maybe it was with the Pharisees, or maybe before the Pharisees, they started to use alternate names like we do now, kind of. Just that gets kind of shaky territory. They would not use what we are now referring to as Jehovah or Yahweh. Yeah. But Adonai was my my beloved father, and you know names such as that uh, were were the relationship between them and God. But His high and holy name, uh, Abraham never called him El Shaddai, even though God referred to Himself as El Shaddai. There's, there's that relationship where He is our Father, He is our Lord, but when it comes to that absolute dominion over all the universe, 
that's the portion that they tried to stay away from. But what I'm talking about when they made vows. When they made vows, they, they never made it to anything except something tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me let me tell you that what we've been looking at is all shown. Jesus is is once again showing. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. I've come to fulfill it. But he's giving them in these examples that he's given deep depth into uh, the law. In fact, he has already addressed three of the Ten Commandments prior to this one, mm -hmm. where he has touched on murder, he's touched on committing adultery, and in a sense, also, the law that was there in the Ten Commandments, that thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. I mean, that's kind of hidden in, in there too. But now he's dealing with the third commandment in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6 when he said, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I could take, I'm going to read some other verses here that emphasize the importance of this. In Leviticus 19 and 12 it says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God I am the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, he says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, that, that's significant right there, he shall not break his word, he shall do according all that proceeds out of his mouth. And in Deuteronomy 23 and 21 it says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you. You know, so we already have Genesis, and now we see Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy also reiterating the importance of, of, of oaths and vows. They basically emphasize and prohibit false swearing or perjury. What's perjury? Lying. It's a form of lying. It's saying I'm going to do one thing and you end up doing another thing. <clears throat> I mean, of course he's perjury as in you're, you're saying you didn't do something or you did do something when you really did or didn't. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so to swear by God's name meant that you were... He was your witness that you were telling the truth. And that's sometimes where people use a euphemism like you example, like, oh, I swear. Like, that's supposed to make what I'm saying to be the truth? When it may not be the truth. So when people say things like that, I'd say, use some caution. So, and hopefully you're not saying those kind of things. So let's say um, you're like accused of something at work, right? And you follow that verse, you know, and let my no be no, meaning I didn't, I didn't steal, for example, that book, you know. And, they, and the manager still don't believe me. You know, then what? Well, you stand on the truth. I mean, sometimes people are wrongfully chastised, even committed into a prison for being innocent. I think that's when all the other things that Jesus has said up until this point come into play because if we're the type of Christian that always tells the truth and always keeps our promises, then when we do make a promise, 
or we do say something, people will believe us. Yes. Right? It's it not is. like... It's that character that we're supposed to... It's personal. Right? Jesus is trying to build here. This is the kind of person I want my disciples to be. And yes, if you start out young doing those kinds of things, people are going to respect when he says something or she says something, I know it's the truth. Or if they commit or she commits, I know they're going to carry it out. It's very important. And I think kind of going along with that, like we should have a character such that we don't even need to swear or make, make oaths. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching here too. He says, I tell you, don't make those kinds of promises. At least don't carry it with the Lord's name or even a euphemism with the Lord's name. Even if we don't have that kind of character with, with people outside of our little community or realm, when we say yes or no, or we make a commitment, that's all that's necessary. I don't need to take it any further by swearing to something or saying something to reinforce what I said or what I told somebody. None of us should need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, for one thing, you're trying to use something to uh, solidify your commitment that you have no right to. And that's really what we're talking about here. That's the vanity of using reference to God here. Yeah. It's very hard when you're a young person that's been raised in a household where these kinds of things are prevalent. I know um, Chanel probably is, well, I know she has. She's had kids, kindergartners, using curse words in her class. They don't just pick that up in a book. It's got to be what's being said and expressed in the house. And the kids are picking up on it. And their parents think it's cute. Oh, the parents either think it's cute or they'll deny that it's yeah. that it's happening. Yeah. Or they'll be yeah. passive about it. Yes. Huh? They'll be passive about it. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know about yeah. it. Yeah. Or they learn it in school because in my house we were not swearing. And then they came back with friends who were swearing all the time. When we started, I said, no, we don't, we can't. We can't. It's yeah. so hard for them to just stop. It is. I tend to stop doing this. And now they say, oh, sorry, Mama. Sorry, Mama. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> All you got to do is stay on it. Stay yeah, on it. Stay true. on it. <laughs> Be consistent. Uh, so at what point does a phrase stop being a euphemism? For example, I say, like, oh, my word. And, you know, um, or things of that nature where... You know, and I've heard lots of people say it because it's, you know, I mean, we, we say expressions when we express ourselves, yeah. you know, when we hurt ourselves or when something goes wrong or something. Yeah. Right. Um, but try not to say those words. Right. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> there's, a, there's a societal impact on how we yeah. speak and how we relate to each other. Right. Um, and it's hard to stay away from all the societal components that are out there. Things get repeated by people that they don't even think about it. But there's also individuals that use those kinds of things to reinforce something they're trying to say or in lieu of something they want to say. And I think we all get what that means. That's just not appropriate. Yeah, I, I think if what you're saying can be, if a, if a true curse word could be substituted in there and it, and it fits, that, 
that's where we probably need to go, oof, maybe I need to drop, you know, that phrase. I want to share with you another account in Matthew chapter 23 <clears throat> that I think kind of shows that when we go to a court and we have to be a witness in the court and they ask us to put our hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because if you don't tell the truth, then what are you guilty of? Perjury. And that carries some penalty, doesn't it? At least in our courts of law. But, but look what happened here to Jesus. Um, looking at verses 16 through 22. Jesus said, Woe to you, blind guides. And who's he directing that to? Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, note this, it is nothing. It is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, well, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, well, he's obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So the formula that one can try to use for justifying their vows, Jesus is saying, that's totally irrelevant. Okay? Jesus is saying, no matter how hard you try, you cannot avoid some reference to God, for the whole world is God's creation. Everything that you can put your eyes on and hands on are His creation. And you cannot eliminate him from any of it. Even your head. Even the hair on your head is God's creation. And although we can change the natural color of our hair today, <laughs> Jesus was saying at that point, you can't change a black hair or a white hair. It, it, it's there. So the bottom line is, if anybody makes a vow, you you got to keep it. Now look over at Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read there verses 59, verse 64. Matthew 26, starting at verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Note this, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? 
But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. Was Jesus under an oath? Did he tell the truth? He did. So, going to a court of law and put your hand on the Bible it shouldn't disturb us because our character should be one of always telling the truth anyway. It doesn't matter if it's got to be physically putting a hand on the Bible. And Just in simplicity, this is the story of Jonah. You cannot run away from God. Yeah, you can. And our actions are seen by God whether we think that's happening or not. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot hide from, from that God. And basically Jesus said that to them. Yeah. You said it. I don't have to say it. Yeah. That, that word that the high priest used, though, is based upon a previous event. In other words, he is reminding them, you have always promised to tell the truth. truth. Yeah. And because you have always promised to tell the truth, now tell us, are you? So even though the, the words come out in English, you're under oath. It's based upon the fact that he previously was known to tell the truth. Exactly. exactly. So you go back to the, let your word be yes or no, but not some, some other form of, I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think as uh, Jesus is teaching that honest men, truthful individuals, do not need to resort to all the vows. Uh, the bottom line is, as Christians, we should never lie. We should always be truthful and say what we mean and mean what we say. That's where I think the yes, let your yes be yes and your no, no. I think that's, in a way, that's what he's saying. Mean what you say, say what you mean. The unadorned word should be yes means yes and no means no. Bottom line. And sometimes if you can answer the question with a yes and a no, go there. <laughs> Any questions or other comments? All right, we got through the lesson. Oh. Yeah, I, I may have missed it because I don't hear real well sometimes. But uh, when you t uh, go before the judge and you have to do that, mm -hmm. that's okay, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I when I was growing up, they taught... Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people that won't do that uh, I know. because they have a belief that that's. But here we saw an example where Jesus was kind of placed in the very same position. In... Well, I always thought it was all right too, but I was saying that I know a lot of people that teach that it isn't. Yes, yeah. you know. yeah. I saw again your oath of allegiance. Yeah, I affirm. Right. And yeah. I will do that. You don't have to say, I swear. It is, I affirm that I will. And you and I know about raising your right hand and